Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unjustly, a podcast about social injustices. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is a very exciting one that we are very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do, and that is an interview with attorney Jared Adams. You definitely don't want to miss this conversation. So for those of you who have been with us for a while might recognize Mr. Adams's name from the episode we did called Not Guilty, Serving Life. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend you do so, uh, so you can understand what we're talking about in the interview and what Mr. Adams is fighting for. But for those of you who haven't listened to that episode yet or need a little refresher, here is a quick summary of the case that Mr. Adams is working on. So in 1988, in Waverly, Virginia, Officer Gibson was shot and killed with his own gun behind an apartment complex while on duty. Witnesses described a man with dreadlocks running from the scene of the crime. After police began rounding up black men from around the area, forcing them to give up names of potential suspects, they decided to arrest Terrence Richardson and Ferran Claiborne. This was despite the fact that neither man fit the description the witness and the victim gave. Police also ignored the fact that both men had alibis along with a lot of other evidence that points to the innocence of both men. Unable to afford adequate counsel, Richardson and Claiborne's attorney urged them to take an unprecedented plea deal in fear of getting the death penalty due to the nature of the accusations, which was murdering a police officer. Reluctantly, both men took the plea deal. Claiborne was set free with time served and Richardson was given 10 years. But that wasn't the end of it. With pressure from the slain officer's family, the FBI decided to try Richardson and Claiborne for the exact same murder, but this time in federal court. In order to try them for the same murder, though, the FBI had to include new charges. In this case, the FBI tried to say that Richardson and Claiborne were drug dealers and major kingpins in Waverly. Local Waverly police, though, said that this was absolutely not true. The former police chief, who was friends with the slain officer, said that they knew all of the drug players and there was no way that Richardson and Claiborne would have been a part of the drug world without them knowing, let alone being kingpins in the small city. Isn't that crazy? I just don't understand how the FBI can be like, here's, there's so much evidence. We're not going to really show you, but there's so much evidence that they are drug dealers and that they've been conspiring you know, with, with everyone in this small city and the local police are like, absolutely not. The police also, what do they get like, out of it? Like at that point, everything was done. Why want to bring it up again? And why want to bring federal charges against them? For what? So the wife of the officer who died oh, was also was an officer. Oh. And so she went pushing. Yeah, she pushed for it. Um, because I mean, at the time you have to understand they didn't have the evidence or they didn't have the knowledge yet of the innocence of both Richardson and Cleborn. Um, they had taken the plea deals at the time at the state level. And so she just thinks they admitted to it. Mm -hmm. So they must've done it. Um, now in this current time, the daughter of that officer who was killed is coming forward saying, you know, I do want to know the truth. And so if these guys are innocent, then we do need to get mm -hmm. them out. Um, and so she's, it seems like she's also on board with figuring out the truth and finding out if these men yeah, were like wrongfully convicted. the case. Exactly. So she's pushing for that now. Of course, it's been 
a really long time. It's been a couple decades already. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, at the time, the family was the one who pushed for the FBI to get involved. And I'm going to assume because it was officers involved, mm-hmm. they agreed to take it on. But the police chief who was the in charge of that officer mm-hmm. who was killed himself was saying, there's no way. Yeah. These guys are not your guys. Um, I saw a picture of him recently supporting Terrence and Ferran. So uh, there's definitely people in that community who know their innocence yeah. and they're also fighting for that. That's awesome because you don't really see that very often, mm-hmm. right? Where like the actual law enforcement who did the case and exactly. worked on the case is coming out and saying, you know, we don't agree with this. We don't think this is right. And that right there should tell you a lot on its mm-hmm. own. So the trial happened and the jury found both Richardson and Claiborne not guilty of the murder in the federal court. However, some jury members believed that if the FBI took the time and effort to take these men to trial, then there must be something that these men were doing. So they found the men guilty of one drug charge. The drug charge would have resulted in a max of 20 years in prison. However, Due to a loophole in federal sentencing guidelines, the judge was able to enhance their sentencing to life in prison without parole. This loophole permitted the court to make a finding of guilt by preponderance of the evidence, even if found not guilty. And because Richardson and Claiborne had pled guilty to the crime in state court, this was used against them. I also want to mention real quick that one of those jury members later said that the jury members were dismissed prior to the sentencing. So they left the court thinking he's going to get a max of 20 years and Mm -hmm. that's it. It wouldn't be till years later that she found out those men actually got the life sentence. And I'm sure that would have probably changed a lot of their minds as far as like, well, we think something's going on, but do they deserve life in prison? If they had known that, they probably wouldn't have kind of come to the conclusions that they did yeah and i also feel like that's kind of part of the reason why the judge kind of waited for the jury to be dismissed in order to present that loophole and do the enhanced sentencing without their Mm -hmm. consent that's crazy so there's more to the story and i i didn't write this in this intro and i didn't write this in my last episode but there seems to be so much conspiracies Mm -hmm. within this case from the very beginning but from the very first day that the officer was killed there's already a lot of questionable evidence on why he was there in the first place so with that it just seems like it spiraled out of control control. (laughs) so now jared adams and his team are fighting for their freedom because not only was this loophole in sentencing very unjust but there's so much evidence proving their innocence. And then on top of the amazing work that Mr. Adams has done, he too was a victim of a wrongful conviction in which the Innocence Project helped him get exonerated. So again, if you haven't yet, please go listen to our episode called Not Guilty, Serving Life for more details about this case, along with the details of Jared Adams' personal wrongful conviction. But with that, here's our interview with attorney Jarrett Adams, the force behind Not Guilty Serving Life and one of the founders of Life After Justice. Let's go, lady. I'm ready when you are. Okay. So to start off, um, do you have any updates on Terrence and Ferran's case? So I do actually. So so recently, uh, we made a filing, the actual innocence petition filing in a case. 
And so we just received news that the court has granted part of the motion. And what that means is this. So because I'm out of out of state uh, attorney um, of Virginia, you have to make a filing. And once you make the filing, you then have to make a filing asking, can you appear to argue um, the case? They've granted my motion to argue the case, which means what? The case will be heard. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we have that. I mean, I mean, and, and, you know, look, Sandy, at this point, we'll take any small victory, right? We're, we're talking about 20 something years where people um, were, were on their own making a decision not to deal with it. You know, it just so happens that the synergy and energy right now is not allowing people who think it's okay to, to you know, um, you know, put, a, put a, a hold on justice. Right now where the country is moving, yeah. we're ridding ourselves of that. And that's a good thing. That's exciting <laughs> because it yeah. seems like there's so many steps that are going to have to go into um, freeing Terrence and Ferran, right? I know we have to do the state level and then go on to the federal level. And it just seems like such a daunting task. Um, yeah. How hopeful are you for this? I mean, I'm extremely hopeful. And, and the reason why I say that is because, yeah, it, it is a daunting task, but I mean, it's work. I mean, that's, you know, you just don't, you don't win much. And, it, and it's and it's unfortunate because you are we to believe that we don't get it wrong? You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's what you would be saying. You would have to say to yourself, the system is perfect, and we aren't perfect people. And if mm-hmm. the system was man-made, <clears throat> you know. So I think that we 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 definitely need to to we need to cherish the small victories because the wrong road is so long and full of you know just roller coasters and nothing happening. You know, it's so, you know, the, the real problem that I've been dealing with, with, with what's taking so long is this. I'm simply trying to get people to, to, to believe that they are people worthy of sympathy and empathy. And that's a difficult job. I, that doesn't, you know, that's not, you know, you can't pay for sympathy and empathy. It has to be developed. It has to be within you. And I think that society has been become desensitized by the historical narrative of especially black men of men of color. So when there's a black man or when there's a man of color or anything, instead of society, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, we immediately assume that they 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 did something. And I can, you know, I could pick out examples of that where um, you know, if we right now, if we see, you could pick whatever, and I don't want to name to to uh you know to to irritate or disrespect anyone, but if you think of a white celebrity and we see them in handcuffs. And then you think about just any black person and you see them in handcuffs, you would assume that the black person in handcuffs did it, but you would want to assume that the, that the, that the uh, entertainer didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem. That's a societal problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you think we can get to a point where we can change that? Honestly, Sandy, I mean, I don't mean to put too much on, the younger generation, but it's it's on them. Yeah. You know, if you've ever heard the, the, the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? So yeah. I'm a part of this generation that I'm about to say this about. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm giving myself a pass when I say this. But if we could have a conversation with the people who locked them arm in arm um, to to walk across that bridge in Selma, mm-hmm. um, 
if we can have a conversation with them, I, I, I don't believe that they would be the happiest with us right now. That torch was passed. And instead of us taking that torch and carrying it and seeing justice all the way through, once Dr. King and other leaders died, everyone tried to snatch the torch in their own direction for their own benefit. And we lost mm -hmm. focus at the goal. And when I say we, look, I'm not just talking about black and brown folks, because it was folks like Bernie Sanders that was out there in that crowd as well, you know, getting hit on the head and stuff like that. You know, justice has no color. Um, and, and whether or not you want to believe this, um, you can have people of color who are just as prejudiced as people who aren't of color. So this is a people thing we're dealing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the best way for me to, 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 to try to humanize what we're going through is this. Like, you, you think about being a kid, you think about textbooks, right? You think about what's in those textbooks and you think about in those textbooks are telling the story of people of how we arrived at where we got today. So I just wanna say this to anyone listening um, or anyone who is on the right or left and doesn't understand that the middle was justice. I just wanna say this to you. If 20 years from now, your kid picked up a textbook and read about you, would they be proud of you? And if you can't say for sure that they would, and when I say proud of you, I mean proud of you um, in terms of what you did for what is this nation's human rights biggest pitfall, if you didn't do anything to help in what we have going on with the criminal justice system, and that criminal justice system is an extension of the community and police relations. So if you can't say to yourself that your child picking up this book and walking away from it, reading this depiction of what you did, if you can't say that they would be proud, then you got work to do. Wow. Can great. I can I just ask something too, or like just we? I feel like we're living in a time of extremes, right? You're either seen as very extreme progressive and liberal, or extreme conservative. Um, wh like, what can we do to try and bring those to a level playing field, or like somewhere down the middle? Because you're right, we can't live in extremes. And I say this from like personal experience, where I have a very, very progressive and liberal sister, but she functions in extremes where if you don't agree with her, it becomes an issue, and and she, you can't really talk to her, you can't really reason with her. But I also have a very conservative father-in-law and I, because of these two like dichotomies, have learned to kind of live in the middle. But we live in California and our friends think a lot like we do. So what can we do to try and better educate or better deal with people who aren't necessarily looking out for an unjustly podcast type of, you yeah. know, thing? So I, I just, I feel so lost right now. Yeah, but see, that's the thing that, I mean, Stephanie, but what you're doing right now is what needs to be done, you know? And, and do you know do you know the real true definition of faith? Um, the true <laughs> definition of faith is, is this. Faith isn't something that you can grasp, that you can hold, that you can bottle, or that you can sell. Mm -hmm. Faith is something that you have to have, yeah. right? And so we have to have faith you know, and, and we can draw on having that faith from looking back at our history, you know, and understanding that we've made a lot of ground up, right? 
but we have more to go. And I think that what we do is this, we continue to do what we're doing right now, Stephanie. Like we continue to have conversations. We, we, we yeah. continue to have dialogue because your sister all the way extreme left, your, your, your father-in-law conservative, you don't have to be all the way nothing. As long as you're conservative, we know what that means, right? You right. So it's like, okay, you know, sometimes, and this is, this is the thing. Let me tell you something. This, this, is, a, this is something where I think that it, it can reach people. So my grandfather would say a whole lot of stuff. One of the things that he would say was, you know, you don't, sometimes people don't understand crap until that crap is on the bottom of their shoe. Mm -hmm. And if you dig deeper into that, let's just say this, let's say physically it's a piece of crap on the sidewalk, right? Some dog mess on the sidewalk. sidewalk. Um, I'm gonna give you three people, right? The first person walks past that crap. He sees it and he just continues about his day. The second person sees it and he's like, man, somebody should do something about that. Like you just have dog crap right there on the sidewalk. The third person is so busy that he steps right in it, right? Of those three, who do you think is gonna be moved to action? The one that stepped in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, it's that. So, so what happens is this, because the first two people don't know exactly what it's like to step in it, it's hard for mm -hmm. them to keep their moral compasses on every time there's a conversation of, like this that happens, mm -hmm. right? So we need that third person to tell the first two mm -hmm. just how horrible it was and just how much it impacted their day. So, so that's like, those are some of the analogies that I like to use. And, and, and mm -hmm. when I say is this, the first person and the second person may not get it as well as the third person but the third person has to continue to share just how awful that was in order for the first and second person to now say, you know what? Because see, the second person is almost there because he's mm -hmm. already thought about this, this stuff needs to be cleaned up. So now the third and the second person needs to continue to have a conversation with the first to say, you know, although you walk past it and continue on your day, let me tell you about the effects that it's having. And this is how it affects you. You might've walked past it this day, but if you don't step in it eventually, Maybe your kid will. Well, and those are the conversations yeah. that you have to be able to try to bring back, you know, what what needs that, you know, the, the sympathy and empathy that we need. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you started an organization called Life After Justice with two other people who were wrongfully convicted. Um, it was Antoine Day and Ramon yeah. Ward. Um, and then I saw recently also that another exoneree, Tyra Patterson and Anna Vasquez from the San Antonio Four, which Stephanie actually covered that case in a previous episode. So that's really exciting to see. Um, but how did this get started and why did you start it? So what we're gonna do is this, we're actually, we're creating a council, right? So the whole idea about it was this, look, I'm not, I'm not, oblivious to how fortunate I am, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I experienced the, the same experience as a number of different exonerated individuals, I came home with something that most didn't, and that was my youth. Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of youth, but I came home at 26 turning 27, which allowed me, if I stopped on the dime, to turn my life around. And I did stop on the dime, but I had help. And so I wanted to write down that help, document that help, and to be able to, to regurgitate that help in a fashion that would help the population so that so desperately needs to help. 
And so what I did was start to, to continue to have conversations with other people. And now we've created a council. So where it started off as being three founders, one of the things that, you know, was brought to my attention and was desperately needed was, you know, it, it made it seem like women aren't impacted by wrongful convictions and they are. And so there's no way in the world that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, um, set up, you know, to talk about the impact of wrongful convictions on women. So we wanted to go out and get some people who were accredited in this, in this, in this by their experience. So we got Anna, we got, you know, um, we got Tyra. And, you know, what we're doing is we're actually opening our ranks up to more like-minded exonerees who are willing to do this work. And so that's the council. That's how the council is set up. Um, because everyone's situation is unique. Everyone's damages are unique. I Look, all of us, me, you, um, we, we can we can all be in a car crash. We would leave that car crash with different ailments. Your back might be hurting. You know what I mean? Sandy's neck might be hurting, right? My shoulder might be hurting. I might never want to get in the car again. Sandy's like, man, let's get in the car and hit 100. <laughs> everyone, you know, everyone has different, you know, but, but that doesn't mean that that you or I or any one of us are stronger or weaker than the other. Mm -hmm. impact it differently. And so um, the council is important to be able to make sure we don't miss individually everyone's impact. So now what we're doing is this, three, it's a three-tiered approach. Number one, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have mental health care be a focus. Like, I'm serious, I'm not here without that. Like, cause I was angry, I was angry as shit, to be honest with you. And I had every right to be, yeah. but yeah. I needed to make sure that I didn't allow that to consume me because however, would I be able to represent men like Terrence and Ferran? Because that, that's what the other side would do. Look, I'm gonna tell you, they've tried to bait me into looking like I'm nuts, right? And, and you know, look, if that's what you wanna do and then waste your time on that, great. It gives me a head start to kick the shit out you in court. You understand? <laughs> so it's like, whatever you wanna do, that's fine. But, but the whole point is like the mental health care approach then we have the aftercare approach where we're, we're helping people get back into whatever it is that they want to do. Maybe, they're not, maybe they don't want to be um, attorneys. Maybe they don't want to do this. Maybe they just want to go off and live their life peacefully. And if that's what they want to do, we want to help them do that the best of the ability that they can. Mm -hmm. Then there's the last bucket, which is the, the litigation unit, which I'm heading up. Um, and, you know, we currently, the first case is Terrence and Ferran. One of the first cases is Terrence and Ferran. And so the litigation unit is going to operate the same fashion as an innocence project, but on a smaller capacity until we grow. And his focus is going to be more than science-based arguments because you and I know that there's only so much DNA-based arguments, science-based arguments. There's a lot of, 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 of human-based arguments with science that have advanced, like eyewitness testimony. If me, you, and Steph were right now in the room, somebody ran in and snatched a book off of your, your, your bookshelf, we would all three have different things that we remember about it, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so with that technology and stuff like that advancing, you know, you explain to me why we are not listening. Why would we, why would we rely on science doctors to get us out of a pandemic and Dr. Fauci, CDC, but then we thumb our nose at the science that says, Juveniles don't have the capacity to make decisions as adults, and they shouldn't be sentenced like you know adults. Why do we um, allow the advancements of infrastructure, of phones, and of technology, 
but then we thumb our nose when people say, you know, we need to change some things in the criminal justice system in terms of how evidence is collected, gathered. Why we, you, you know, right now, come on, Sandy, listen, you, we literally from the White House could press a button and hit an ant on his backside from here over in Afghanistan. So you're telling me we can't have the capability to film every interaction by authorities and, and witnesses and, and alleged victims and alleged witnesses? It doesn't make any sense. And you're not gonna make me understand it at all. Yeah, we've been, every single episode, Steph and I go down this rabbit hole in our own conversations that we don't include in the podcast because it just, it snowballs into this huge, like we're, we're confused about how these things are happening. And it's, it's so frustrating that I can't even imagine what it feels like, you know, on your side where right. you've experienced it yourself and now you're helping those that, that have done it. And it's just unfathomable. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, the thing, you know, for me, it's, I, I have a job to do. I don't look, I'm not a lucky person. Okay. I've never won anything on a lottery or a scratch out. All right. Um, and so I look at it like this with so many people who, you know, went through what I went through and didn't come out the way that I did, you know, for God to, 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 to do this means that he has something in mind for me. And so I've said this a lot and I say this again, I have my faith tested, you know, when I was going through my experience, I'm like, you know, um, why, you know, if everything that I was told as a kid, why would I be going through this? But I realized this, my faith was learned as a kid. It wasn't tested or earned until I was an adult. And so there's a difference between learned faith and earned faith. And so the way I look at it is this, my life and what I've went through has made me the perfect passenger for the car, car that God is driving. You know what I'm saying? My life experience has made me the perfect passenger for the car that God is driving. I just need to stop playing with the radio and sticking my head out. <laughs> so I heard your recent announcement that you're going to start your own podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So I um, I just start uh, the first episode with Dr. Yusuf Salam of the mm -hmm. Exonerated Five. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I want, this is the idea behind this. Um, there are so many organizations. There are so many different people who act so much of us, right? And it's not easy, you know, getting up and telling your story every time. And we usually do it for others and we never do it for ourselves. And so um, I've never stopped wanting to go from just being the client, you know, to being the representation as well. And so I'm taking that a step further from the practice of law to everything in life. And I think that we should be in leadership positions. And, and here's why, right? Think about something like this. For, for, every, for everyone who's listening right now, and even for you two, think about this. Think about when something that you've been using for a while breaks, right? You usually know how to fix it, right? Especially if you can't afford it, you know how to fix it, right? Maybe it's that curler or something like that. <laughs> you like, man, I can sure use a new one, but I can't afford it. So where's the tape? 
You understand what I mean? Like, where is this cord has a shortage in it, but I can't afford one. Let me go get this tape and make this thing work. I say that to say this. People who are familiar, the most familiar with the problem are usually the people who are most familiar with how to fix it. But they're also usually the people who are the furthest away from the resources to fix it. You see what I'm saying? So think about the criminal justice system. You think about the areas in which feed the criminal justice system. For the most part, it's the impoverished areas, whether it be black, white, or brown. Impoverished areas feed the criminal justice system. So if you want to know how to fix it, Sandy, Steph, who should we be asking? Yeah. The people who are directly affected by it. Mm -hmm. So is that your goal to have those conversations with them? Exactly. That's it. Let's talk. Since no one else wants to give you that, that, that platform, that, you know, that, that opportunity, you know, to talk and, and say what it, let's talk. I'm going to give it to you because I know what it's like to be you. Cause I am you. And there are times where you can get these organ. Everyone has an organization. Okay. And that's fine. We all need to, you know, do our own collective work, but like, when is there a time where we do things for each other? And we impact the way we want to be impact, be impactful. And so that's what the idea and the spirit was. So I'll have not only just people who've been through what I've been through, but people like Ben Crump. Um, you know, I'll have Tyra Patterson on. Um, I'm waiting to see if I can get Lorenz Tate. You know, I'm looking to get, get celebrities who grew up in some of these impoverished areas who made it out so they could talk about their family's plights so people can understand that you, you see them on TV but they still are affected by some of the same things that you're affected by as well. Are you guys going to talk about the trauma associated with not only wrongful conviction, but just in general, someone that has been incarcerated and the effect that that has even on their family? Yeah. So what we plan to do is we plan to, to have the conversation with the directed and indirected impacted person. And so we couldn't get Yusuf and his mom on this time, but I plan to have her on, um, on an episode as well. Because what I want people to, everyone has a mother, right? So I want people to understand, you know, when they're, when they're looking and they're looking at folks, I don't want them to lose their, their, their love of what it is to be human simply because a person is in a booking photo. So I want to bring moms and direct family members to, to talk about, you know, look, um, there's a story we're working on right now, booking of a guy, man. Um, I can't describe it in any other way. His wife loved him out of those handcuffs. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. she, Absolutely. She was so committed to him. She wouldn't talk to everybody. You know, they did a, they did a documentary, you know, in Milwaukee about it. Um, and I don't want to say his name yet because I want to wait until to, to, so people can come and check out the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a remarkable, remarkable story of strength, you know, from this lady um, and how she would, her love, they, there's a saying um, that says love covers. Not sure if you guys understand what that means, but when you're married and you go to marriage sessions and stuff that, that, that you'll hear that a lot. And they say love covers. And what that means is this. Yes, I know that I have a habit of not putting my socks in a hamper, <laughs> but my wife, Please understand it's, it's not on purpose. And your love for me 
should cover your anger that it causes. <laughs> right? So, so, so it's called love covers, right? Um, and so this story is a classic case of this prison, these handcuffs, these bars are a problem, but my love covers that. And I'm gonna keep going until I get you out of there. This isn't an innocence case. This guy was a part of a crew, um, young crew, you know, robbed the bank. No one got killed, shot or anything, but he had been in prison for over 20 something years. But her love covered and she stayed with him. And now he's out, they're doing things in the community. And it's just a beautiful story. So those are the stories that I'm gonna bring. They won't just be about wrongful convictions. It's gonna be about, you know, qualified immunity. I'm gonna have retired judges, conversations and stuff like that. Because for me, I know what questions to ask because I know what it's like to be uh, the client and the representation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're really excited to listen yeah. to all of them. I think, you know, we could learn a lot from that as well. Um, and with that, I'm also really excited for your book that's coming out. Yes. I pre-ordered it. It's on my calendar. <laughs> I'm going to make some time to read it. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? So the book is 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 basically it is it's whenever I get on these these things and and do uh, speaking about my story, it's like it's not enough time. It's never mm -hmm. enough. Look, like I like literally an entire book could have been spent on what it was like to be adjudicated as a teenager and my experience in prison. But I didn't want to write a book like that. I wanted the book to be that and what happened in the outcome. So that it leads with me as an attorney and then it goes back and revisits because if you can have the respect you know that sympathy and empathy that we spoke about because i'm an attorney then you have to also have that for my journey right mm -hmm. and so it's my way of trying to humanize uh to chip away at the stigmas that are associated with young black and brown men and it's also me, man, you know, each, each step of the way, each chapter is pointing out that I didn't get here off sheer determination. There were members in the community that extended their palm to help me. And so that's what I'm doing right now. It's called yeah. paying forward. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're really excited for everything that you have for the future. Um, we admire everything that you've been doing. You're a remarkable person. And I said this when I was talking to Steph, when we did our episode, I kept saying like, I can't believe this guy <laughs> is doing all these things. And I'm so impressed by every, everything that I read about you and, and all the cases that um, you've been helping with. And so we do yes. plan on doing more episodes. Um, I want to focus on life after justice yeah. um, and, and, you know, some of the players involved on that council. And then um, there is another case that you recently did with well, I don't know how recent it was, but you did it with the guy who helped get you out. Um, and so I, I do want to focus on that too. Do you want to talk a, bit, a little bit about how it was working with, and this will be my last question, I promise, yeah, um, right. how it was working with him? Yeah, so Keith Finley is the, the professor who, you know, argued and litigated my case all the way up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. I, re I received the unanimous decision to overturn my conviction. So when I, when I, I, I graduated, you know, from law school. I actually did a judicial fellowship, which, which is a clerkship in the same court that overturned my conviction. Then I went to go work at the New York Innocence Project, the founding flagship. And so we had a case in Wisconsin and we used the guy who got me out, the attorney, as co-counsel. So 
it was, it, you know, it's just, it's, um, it's an out-of-body experience, you know, because you're sitting up there, you know, and you're sitting up there, like, with the guy that you heard arguing for your freedom while you were in handcuffs listening to a prison on a listening on a prison phone in a super maximum security prison. So I could only listen to him argue. I, you know, I couldn't see it. And so to be leading the charge along with him to exonerate another person, I mean, I it's just, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it was it was book worthy, which is why I wrote the book. I was like, look, I gotta, I gotta write this book. I gotta capital because because this is you could pay someone to do something and they'll do a good job. If you inspire them to do it, they'll go above and beyond. So I'm hoping that the book inspires people to all collectively address this. I cannot stress this enough. Somebody's going to be reading about how we handle the criminal justice system. And if you think that it was, it was, it was horrible to read um, the depictions of slavery, you wait till the kids read about what we did with the criminal justice system. Absolutely. So we talked about this in our interview with Ms. Castillo and in the episode, um, but can you just remind our listeners, what can they do to continue helping in this fight for Terrence and Ferran? Here's what you can do. Look, if you guys could, could please donate five to $10, okay? Um, and share in the victory. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like we're right now on a road to it. You know, it's a long road. And, and the thing is, you know, don't wait for something to trend to become its friend. You know, right now, get involved, man. We need you all. We need, what we need is this. There are people on, see, politicians do political things, right? So the only way to reach them is to call them out on what they're saying. So if everyone listening could go follow what the attorney general is saying about this case and call them out on it. Go look at what the Commonwealth is saying and call them out on it. I'm not telling anyone to become violent. Most certainly don't do that. I'm not saying anyone to make threats. Most certainly don't do that. But you have a right to ask about this case, whether you are a citizen of Virginia or not, because of the, the powerful, 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 powerful quote. Dr. Queen, Dr. King said, Dr. King basically said this, um, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for what we spend at Starbucks, if you guys would consider, you know, cause I didn't know how powerful TikTok was, but I showed up and see especially with your following. I'm gonna mess around and start TikToking around here. <laughs> it is powerful, but like what we need is, we need TikTok to, to like, you know, affect, like these people are coming up with their own pages and they're like just spewing stuff like it's all good. So if we get a thousand people asking the same question, yeah, I hear what you're saying about you believe in, in justice and, and Black Lives Matter, but what about the two Black Lives and, 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 and Terrence and Ferran? Do they matter? Or does it only matter after someone is dead? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. That is the real question. There is, there is no threat. There is no violence. There is only the right to use your First Amendment right to freedom speech. Use it. Yeah. You're a very powerful speaker. 
I, I feel like I could listen to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, we um, really appreciate you taking the time and speaking with us. And I know you have so much going on in your plate, but we really appreciate you and we admire you and, and thank you for everything that you've been doing. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Yeah. I will do the same. And please, 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 followers, help me. Help me help them. That's all I want to do. Help me help them. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So those were the extremely powerful and motivating words from Jared Adams. We are very grateful for the time he took to speak with us. And we want to thank Sandra Castillo as well for helping organize all of this. If you want to learn more about how you can help Terrence Richardson and Fran Claiborne, please visit notguiltyservinglife.org. There have already been updates on this case since we spoke with Mr. Adams, and we will make sure to include them in our social media pages under Unjustly Podcast. To learn more about Jared Adams and his organization, you can visit lifeafterjustice.org, and you might see some familiar faces on the board, such as Anna Vasquez, one of the San Antonio Four, whose case Steph covered in an earlier episode. This interview was a pleasant surprise because we didn't know exactly what we were going to be talking to him about. Mm -hmm. So I think originally we thought we might be discussing the case and maybe possible updates on the case, but it actually ended up just being a a regular conversation between three people, Mm -hmm. one who happens to be incredibly smart and inspiring inspiring and motivational. And I think Sandy and I both left that conversation like, yes, we need to change the world. Like we need to do all these great (laughs) things. So it was really nice. Not only to get to talk to him and just like see what he's like as an actual person and not just as this mm-hmm. like persona that we know as someone who's doing great work in this community, but it was also really nice for me, I guess, having done that episode on the San Antonio Four to see that someone who was a part of something so tragic, mm-hmm. just like Jared Adams, is now doing all of this really great work with him. Absolutely. Um and really just changing lives. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. It's definitely not what I anticipated was going to be, but really mm-hmm. happy to have been able to speak to someone like that because very rarely do you come across people who just in one conversation really do like change your outlook mm-hmm. and your mindset an impact. and impact you in such a way that that he did in that short conversation that yeah. we had. And we're really lucky that he even gave us the time to oh, do yeah. it. I'm sure he's so busy with all the things that he's doing. But like you said, he really does make an impact. His words are so powerful. Like he just knows the metaphors to use and the analogies. And it's incredible to listen to what he has to say, knowing what he's experienced and who he's helping out now. Yeah, it kind of opens your eyes because, you know, we haven't gone through anything nearly as traumatic or mm-hmm. as impactful. But we definitely do have moments where we're like, life sucks, or this is really hard, or I don't really, like, I don't deserve to be going through this, or, mm-hmm. you know, my day was really stressful. But then you meet someone like him who has actually gone through something really terrible mm-hmm. and is living his day-to-day life f- for good. You know, yeah. like, he doesn't have time. He just, he genuinely doesn't have time for bad days or mm-hmm. for days to get him down because every day is something he needs to take advantage of to help these people yep there's people counting on him and lives are at stake and Mm -hmm. so for him it's just like I've gone through this really terrible thing but that's pushing me to be a better person it's pushing me to help other people and the only way I can live the rest of my life 
to make up for the people who helped me mm-hmm. be in the position I am is to now help other people who are in my my shoes. So mm-hmm. I really don't have excuses for terrible days, <laughs> <laughs> even though today has been rough. <laughs> but it is very motivational to speak to someone mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I'm super excited for his book to be coming out. I think it's coming out in like September. Um, I've already done, I've gotten my pre-order already. So whenever I do receive it, I'll definitely let you guys know how it is. But I just having the conversation with him and knowing the way he speaks and the Mm -hmm. things that he says and the way his mind works, really, I'm so excited for this book. And if you guys are interested in ordering his book, it's called Redeeming Justice. Uh, You can visit his website, jaredadamslaw.com to order it, or you can order on Amazon as well. That's how I did it. And then it'll show you the date that um, it'll come in, Mm -hmm. which again, I think it's like in the fall time of this year. So thank you to those of you who have already followed their case and donated or purchased to help the cause. I recently also bought a shirt from their website. I'm wearing it right now. Mm -hmm. It's cute, right? She's wearing it. It's a pink shirt. It's really cute. (laughs) Yeah, it's cute. They have actually a lot of colors that you Mm -hmm. can choose from. Um, So you can order a shirt from their website, and I will post a picture of it on our pages soon. Um, But don't forget to tell your friends about Richardson and Claiborne because there is absolute power in numbers. So thank you for joining us on this episode and we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.